Welcome to the Cosmic Goodie Bag. My name is Carla Cherry. I am your host. We are talking with spiritual seekers about cosmic theories, their personal path and expertise. Our mission is to help people expand their consciousness and their awareness and provide tools to help them find their personal power. Do you want some personal power? I'm tired of watching superhero movies. Don't you want to have a little bit of that for yourself? It is ascension times, people. We'll be talking ETs, multidimensional beings, Parallel universes, we cover it all. It's all in the bag. Why am I doing this? Um, I don't know. Sometimes it's the red pill. Sometimes it's the blue pill. Sometimes you just slip and fall down the rabbit hole and you get a timeshare there. Here's my interview with Fiona Goodwin, who has one of the most intense coming out stories I've ever heard, which involves an exorcism and an ayahuasca journey in the jungles of Peru. Uh, quick disclaimer here. Please do not try ayahuasca at home, and if you do choose to use ayahuasca, it is very intense, and I claim no responsibility for any of your actions. Okay, having said that, I really hope that you enjoy Fiona Goodwin. Fiona Goodwin is an LA-based stand-up comic and a trained UK therapist originally from England. She was a high school behavior specialist on the TV show Britain's Worst Teenager, She's a very British lesbian, and that happens to be the name of her one-woman show in L.A. She's a spiritual seeker with a roller coaster of a journey that includes exorcisms and ayahuasca ceremonies in the jungle, and which we will all we will get into all of that. Welcome, Fiona, to the Cosmic Goodie Bag. Hey, Carla. It's nice to, nice to be with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the show. I know you're a busy lady. Okay, so I just want to start with this. We met at our friend Penny Perot's famous Second Sunday Soirees. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Penny if you need a slutty grandma in your drag queen video. That's what she calls herself, the go-to drag queen grandma. A little quick shout out to her. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's where we met, and there we were, sipping tea on a Sunday, as you do, and you bust out in this ayahuasca tale that just takes the cake, which I want to get into, but first, a little bit of your backstory, and then we'll dive into it. So, Fiona, where did mm -hmm. you grow up, and what was an early sign that you didn't quite, you weren't quite like the others? Oh, um, I grew up in Hertfordshire, in England. Okay. And... Uh, the first sign, I think there are a number of ways in which probably I'm not like others, but as, as the same for all of us. But um, I noticed that I had terrible crushes on girls, probably around about uh, eight or nine. I mean, it would be when we were separated or when they would go off to some other school or whatever, it would just be utterly heartbreaking in a way that was very embarrassing. And uh, I didn't, you know, I, I learned to uh, hide all of that very young. Mm. Okay. And um, so how did you, did you, I guess you were not able to tell your mother. No. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, no, no, I didn't tell my mother, bless her. She was, uh, I mean, right up until before she died, she was still of the view that uh, relationships between the same sex were um, uh, unnatural and perverse. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about your mom. I know that we, we all, many of us have had challenging mother experiences, but I understand yours was just like a little bit extra. Well, um, I, I think my mother started off with a little extra. She, she was, uh, uh, I'm a little defensive of her now during our, when we were, I was growing up, I didn't feel the same way at all, but 
um, <clears throat> she was evacuated during the war, which means she was sent away as a child between the age of five and 10 from her family. And um, it was never the same again, really. And so one of the ways uh, I would say that she was, you know, if she had been diagnosed, she would have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So, so break that down just a little bit for us. So it was World War II and she was, was she sent away to a camp or how did that look? Yes, there was um, a, a scheme to get children out of London during the bombings. So all the children were rounded up and put it on, put on trains. So my mother was put on a train with about a thousand other children at the age of five, wearing a little piece of cardboard on a string around her neck, which said her name, uh, Faith. Uh, her name was Faith Buckland. And she also wore a gas mask around her, her neck. And Jesus. With, with one hand, she was holding her teddy bear. And on the other hand, she was holding a little bag with a few you know, basic items. And uh, she hardly saw her parents at all during the next five years. And- um, How old was she? Five. Wow. Yeah. So she would cry and cry. And then when she learned to write, she was started to write to her parents to say, please, you know, please get me, take me back. You know, please come and get me. And- um, Where was she? She was staying at a, at a family. Uh, down in Cornwall, but uh, she was sent to in the in the ter school term time. She was sent to a boarding school, which was run by nuns who were incredibly unkind. Mm. And she was um, the older girls, and there was a kind of a culture of cruelty in the institution. And the older girls, uh, she, my mother told me, would lock her in cupboards at night as a small child. And oh my god! So, yeah, so she had reasons reasons not to be cheerful. You know? Yeah, yeah, that would do it. That would pretty much do it. Yeah. Um, so when I so when I got to five, my mother acted out some of this by uh, she changed my name, she cut my hair off, um, she uh, you know I mean we my father left fairly young when I was fairly young, uh, but another strange behaviour that she had was that she would keep my brother and I in our rooms, so we wouldn't communicate with each other. I think that was some paranoia that she had. <clears throat> but she, she didn't what was she afraid of I think she was afraid that I, I'm not quite sure I think it was an irrational paranoia I think it was she was afraid that we were talking about her or having oh, wow. kind of having fun without her how did she go from this tragic beginning to getting married and having babies well she uh, she she got pregnant at 19 okay and um, and and had children, I mean, they you know you have to marry then. In those days, you had to marry. But she got um, out of this situation. <clears throat> the war was over, and then it was like, was she released back to her family? And everybody's like, hey, yeah, be a happy family again. That just pretend like that didn't happen. Yeah, she that that's what happened. She went back to the family when she was about ten, but her father came back from the war, and he was quite scarred, and he wasn't the same person either. Wow. So it wasn't uh, at home. He was very, I mean, she, she, she claimed that as, as, as a child, if she didn't get her homework right, he'd put her finger in a live electric socket. Oh my God. So, so you know, she was, but the, the thing she had was she was very beautiful and very attractive to men. So she, she bagged the, you know, the best looking guy at school. Mm -hmm. um, but then 
you know, she wasn't, she really wasn't psychologically equipped to be in a relationship. I mean, she wasn't in good shape. So he, he left after, after about when I was, he left when I was about, I guess about eight. So let me ask you this. You, you mentioned that you found the church. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think there was, uh, my family was not, you, you know, my mother remarried and, um, she married a, a, a Cambridge intellectual and, uh, they were very into education and academia and, uh, it wasn't the warmest of households. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was really looking for warmth. And also I, I was, I was a seeker. So I, I couldn't understand why we were all here. I didn't know. I, I had questions about what we were doing on the planet. What, 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 what were we doing here? From an early was, age. Very early age, yeah. What was the point, you know? So you saw what type of church? It was a, originally, it was just a born again Jesus. We called, at school, we called her the Jesus freak. And she just tracked me down and kept, she could tell that I was, you know, seeking. And how old and, were you? Uh, I, at that time, I was about 15. Okay. And, and also, I was looking for an answer to the fact that I was having these, always had such crushes on girls, and I had started to fear that I might be gay. Okay. So, so you turned I, to the church. That was an interesting turn. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that they, <laughs> they, had, a, they had a contract out on homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't read the, I didn't read the fine print. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so how did that play out? Well, they, um, <clears throat> I, I confessed straight away and the, um, they sent me to a woman. I asked if I could see a psychologist. Well, one of the things that's characteristic of the church is that, well, the fundamentalist church is they mistrust experts. Okay. And so, this, was, this was Presbyterian? This was what type of? In this particular church, at the, the first church I went to was Plymouth Brethren. What was it? Was Plymouth Brethren. Okay. Very fun fundamentalist, low church, Protestant. Okay. So um, I asked them <clears throat> if they could find, have a, they knew a psychologist, and they sent me to Jan, who was a Christian Cambridge anthropology PhD student. Okay. Um, Specialising in butterflies. And um, <laughs> she, uh, she was very kind, and she said, Fiona, it's absolutely nothing to worry about. God loves everyone. Okay. Pedophiles, serial killers, rapists you know, even lesbians. Oh so, my God. Did she put that in that, all that sentence together? Was that one sentence? She, she did that all by herself. Wow. Did she get that so, from the butterflies? <laughs> I, I reckon, I reckon there's some sinister, <clears throat> sinister but butterflies out there. Um, so she, uh, yeah. So she was on the one hand, very reassuring that God loved me, but on the other hand, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the best news. Wasn't the so best then, category to be put in either. No, and then later on, when I joined a church in London, they had the answer. They told me they knew how to get rid of the demon, that I had a, I had a demon, so I could be exorcised. Okay, so we need to hear about that. How did that play out? I um, went to the church and uh, in London, and I was uh, I was sharing a. Um, a sharing a single bed with a friend of mine, you know, for financial reasons. Uh -huh. And um, she, um, I realized I got a funny feeling in my tummy and, you know, and our lips brushed and I thought, oh my goodness, this, we have, I have a real problem. 
Mm-hmm. So the very next day, I cycled up to the pastor's house and said to him, listen, I've got a problem. I mean, you know, can you help? And, uh, and they said, well, we'll get Uncle Sid up from Cornwall. He'll know what to do. Uncle and, Sid. Uh, Uncle name? Sid was his name, yeah. Lovely. And, uh, and uh, you know, he said, you know, you've got a demon and, you know, we can, Uncle Sid knows how to get it out. And you felt, so, where, how did you feel with, when you heard that? Well, it was a, it's a mixture of relief that, you know, someone was going to, get it out and obviously I went home that day thinking oh this is what it must feel like to be possessed and have the devil inside you (laughs) so that's you know that was that didn't feel good right (laughs) so um it's like that YouTube song yeah so they sent me home he said fast for three days come back on Saturday and um so yeah so there was all this there all these other people came with in men in suits and really so, yeah and they you know shouted and screamed at me and they shouted ironically they kept shouting come out come out you know oh hilarious <laughs> <laughs> wait hold on were you inside the church i need to, i need to see this no by the time by by this time i was in what's called a house church and we met in a house so you were so in a house in someone's house yeah how many guys in suits are we talking about uh well there was uncle sid and there was uh bertie he was learning the exorcism ropes <laughs> there was um he was in training yeah he was in training there was uncle sid's assistant who later turned out to be gay which was nice very unfortunate nice uh and is he then alive? is that guy alive i don't know <laughs> i don't know i hope he's okay <laughs> And um, I mean, I hope he's happily, you know, with somebody. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh, Pauline, uh, who was uncle, uncle, well, the pastor's wife was Pauline. Pauline, uh, I mean, in the middle of the, Pauline had something called elephantitis, which is where, you know, you have one huge leg and one tiny leg. And in the middle of the exorcism, I could see her. I knew it was her because I could see the legs between the men's legs. Oh my and God! She interrupted everything, and um, you know, to offer us offer us uh, tea and biscuits in the middle of uh, the exorcism. Mm-hmm. She thought we need food because you hadn't eaten for three days. Yeah, so I ate as many biscuits as I could because I was absolutely starving. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so the exorcism begins. What? Take me through it. Like, what's the first thing that happens? Are they reading passages and then they start screaming? Well, they first of all make sure that you're willing to confess. You have okay. to confess, confess your sin, and are you willing to repent? Okay. I mean, the sad thing was I hadn't actually really done anything at this point. And you're 15. Yeah. No, this, by this point, I'm 19. Okay, 19. You brush lips with a girl. You end up in this exorcism house. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything to confess, you know, except my thoughts. So, um, so I confess those. I said I was very sorry. <laughs> um, and then they um they they gathered round and uh there were some candles they lit some candles and then they basically shouted at me sort of you know swore not that they shouted at the demons right uh you know it was screaming shouting you know come out you demon of rebellion and resentment and homosexuality wow so you know it's a lot of a lot of shouting i being english i want to sort of help it along you know and uh so i kind of you know i'd seen the exorcist i had a rough idea of, you know <laughs> what was going to happen so I, I moved my head around sort of weirdly like that you know? 
Oh, you were playing the part. You were like, I'm an actress. Let's get into it. Well, I was just trying to encourage them. Yeah, you were like, let's have, let's hurry this on. Yeah, I mean, I was so co- I was already so codependent that I was concerned <laughs> that they would feel successful. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, so what happened? Know. Well, they continued screaming and shouting, and then we had this little tea break. And then they said, uh, he's, Uncle, Sid said to, Uncle Sid was from Cornwall, right? Which is right down the south of England. So he said, all right, gentlemen, I think we should have another, I think we should have another go. Okay. You know, that, yeah, which didn't sound good. Right. And, and off they went. You must have been get, exhausted at this point. Oh, yeah, they were shaking my shoulders and pushing my head back, you know, presumably to let the demon out more easily. I don't know. Oh, my uh, God. And then, you know, so there's a lot of push, shoving and pushing and everything. I got really, and in the second round, I got really angry because I thought, you know, partly it was a mixture of me partly hamming it up to kind of make me feel that it was, you know, the demon was, because they kept saying, oh, it's coming out now, it's coming out now, you know, when you I would birthing, get angry. You are birthing a demon. Yeah. So that, you know, they, they got all excited, you know, when I made noises and, yeah. You know, so, and then I shouted at them, get your bloody hands off me, you bastards. You know, I hadn't, oh, wow. I hadn't, I hadn't sworn for years, you know. I thought it was a you know, good touch, you know, just throwing in the, <laughs> the swearing. But that's the demon would probably swear, you know. And, right, um, of course. And then, and then at the end, um, and I asked, I said to Uncle Sid, you know, well, uh, you know, things started to peter out. I think they were getting tired. And, uh, and I, they said, uh, so I said to him, you know, Uncle Sid, how, how did it go? And yeah. he said, um, he said, not, not well, my lover, not well. Really? And I said, well, what, what do you, what do you mean not well? And he said, well, when we started, you had, uh, you had, uh, seven demons. <gasps> wow. That's a lot of demons, you know? And, uh, and he said, while we were doing it, five more came in. Oh my God. Wait, wait, wait. I have a question. Did you have to pay for this? No, no, it's all free. Okay. Just, just... <laughs> it's not, it's not provided on the national health. It's something that. <laughs> They made up all by themselves. And is Sid a big guy? I just need to know, what does he look like? He's tiny. He's about five foot, five foot, about five foot, actually. He was shorter than me. About wow. five foot one or something, yeah. And he was, you know, a little, little old man. Very sweet, very loving man. I mean, these people are really nice people. Okay, they mean well. He's totally, totally how did believe. he train for this? Like, what did it, how did he get his certification? Pardon? Certification. Did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, there, he, there is no certification for this. But how did he wake up one day and go, okay, I'm ready. Like, I guess he went through his own training. He was trained. He went through the apprenticeship as well. I think that it's just a tradition in that church, the That's, charismatic church, you know. So, so, okay. So how did he see, did you ever ask him like, Hey Sid, how did you, <laughs> how do you see the demons? Like where, how did you get your gauge? What is, what are you gauging this on? How does he see seven and then five more came? Right. No, no. I was, I was too polite to ask. Oh, okay. I didn't ask. I just believed. Yeah. So what happened next? Well, the next thing, so I went home and I, you know, they, they, nobody hugged me, you know, like they usually did. I went out and I thought to myself, well, I really am. Because they told me, you know, at the beginning, they said, do you want the demon out or not? Because if you don't want it out, it won't come out. Uh-huh. And if, it, if it doesn't come out, you won't ever have a baby or get married or have a family. Or anything. Oh, my God. So he said, you know, you'll be alone for the rest of your life, right? So I, um, so I, that's partly why I put so much effort into the exorcism because I really wanted to make it happen, you know? Yeah, not die alone. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, 
So I went out to, you know, to the bus, you know, I didn't know whether to get on the bus or walk in front of it, you know. <laughs> and so I got on the bus and then I went to McDonald's and I got a meal deal. As you do. After a post-exorcism, post that sounds like a good plan for a 20-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I was kind of really concerned because nobody really said anything after that. You know, the, I went to, carried on going to church, but people kind of gradually, it felt like people were skirting around me a little bit. Oh, no. Might have been my paranoia, I don't know. And so then I thought, well, I'll, I, I went to uni university and then I, I decided that a convent would be the best solution. Okay. Because then I would dedicate myself to God and, wow. uh, and I would, you know, I would accept being single. You know, that's so, a, way of, a way of being useful and serving God and making my singleness be useful. Wow. Okay. So how did that work out? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a crush on a nun? What happened? Not really. No, interesting enough. No, I didn't. Um, I, uh, I I just started to feel really, really uneasy about, about being there. And, and then one day I, I opened my Bible, flicked, you know, it was, to, it was one of my ways to get guidance was to flick the Bible open randomly, mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. a little prayer and flick it open. Um, and I flicked the Bible open and it, it was this passage, it was 2 Kings tw uh, 22 verse 2, which said, uh, he walked in all the way of his father, David, neither turning to the left nor to the right. And I knew in that moment that I was, uh, I believed that I was being told that I had to live my life in the world. Okay. And I thought, how's that possible? You know, I like girls and I've got demons. 12 right. Of them. You've got, yeah, you've, you've added demons in the exorcism. That's a, I did the maths. That's a terrible Yelp review for that exorcism <laughs> right there. You gained demons in the exorcism. I think he, he needs more training. So, <laughs> and then you had to feed them McDonald's, which I thought was quite nice. Yeah. You. You've got 12 of them. So, right. perfect meal for well, And when you've, got, when you've got demons, I mean, obviously, um, <clears throat> the only way that these demons manifested, as far as I was concerned, was that I would, um, you know, fall in love with girls. Oh, Yeah. But apart from that, you know, I wasn't getting frothing at night or anything or seeing spooky things or nothing, nothing else was happening. So, you know, they, the demons really, I just thought, well, I, you know, I, I can just, they told me that you starve the demons by not being in relationships with, with you know, not, but, you know, staying away from relationships with girls. Wow. And part of their advice, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you, part of his advice was, uh, he said, you know, get yourself a boyfriend. That's going to heal everything. Yep. And, you know, a good, probably a good seeing to probably would, you know, I think that was their view. And, uh, and the other thing they said was, um, they said, we'll get the ladies in the church to bring in some more ladylike clothes. Because they wow. said, you know, the demons won't like you wearing pretty frocks. You know? This is insane. Okay. So I want to cut to your, your ayahuasca story. Uh, right. So there you are, you walked into this party, you started telling us a story and my jaw dropped. First of all, for people who don't know, what, does ayahuasca, what is ayahuasca? You're asking me? Yeah, yeah, how would you explain it for okay. people who don't know? Right, well I don't know all the chemical compounds and everything, but it's, it's, um, it's a plant medicine, it's a, and it's a, it, 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 it's a plant, and another plant is added to it 
to make the first plant really um, well let me explain this one plant has hallucinogenic qualities right uh, qualities our bodies are built to to fend off these things so there's another leaf that's added which then opens up our system to the hallucinogenic thing okay so it's, and it's got dmt yeah it's got dmt in it okay and you you drink it as a it's a like a brew so you it's like a brown horrible brown liquid so well i guess we would preface it too if your 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 mother died yeah my yeah and i was very lucky i went back i, I was living here and i went back to live with my mom um to be with my mom for two years uh and she gradually I gradually moved in to live with her full time at the end and uh, spent the last six months with her full time and very, very glad I did because we, you know, we had a closeness then that we had never had before. And uh, I was she very had glad cancer. No, she had a uh, congestive heart failure. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, but so after this, this, her passing, mm -hmm. why did you choose to do the ceremony and then just tell us the story? Okay, so mum had died and I needed a, I, I, I'd been doing the night time, you know, getting her out of bed and taking her to the bathroom and cleaning her up and, you know, doing all the, <clears throat> I was exhausted, basically, absolutely exhausted from yeah. the, the caring. And I kept, uh, she died and I was in her house and I was just there on my own and I knew I had to clear up the house and get, get rid of it, but I just needed a bit of a, I just needed to reset. You know, because mum's gone. She'd been such a huge influence in my life. <clears throat> she was a huge personality and I was exhausted. And I just really wasn't sure what my next steps were. So I'm thinking I really need to know. I'm sort of setting an intention to really uh, know what to do next. And I kept hearing this word ayahuasca and I'd, uh, in my head. And I, I'd never heard, I'd heard this word ayahuasca once before. And it was when I was in someone's home. And I overheard people talking about ayahuasca and they, all I heard them say was, well, you, you, you need to be supervised when you, when you do it. And uh, that's all I knew about it. And I, when I went, I went online and I Googled it and I found this place and I read all of, it's called the Temple of the Way of Light in the Amazon jungle. And I, it, 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 everything inside of me resonated with it. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, I, I really, really want to do this. So I rang them up and I said, look, I've never done hallucinogenics before. I don't know, you know, and, uh, you know, might, do I qualify? I wasn't sure if you had to have, <laughs> you know, previous experience. And, uh, no, they said no. And you had to do, do the special diet of no salt, no sugar for two weeks before. And, uh, and, and this I, is a tribe, just to be clear. Yeah, it's the Shipibo tribe. And what um, country are you? Are they in? Peru. Peru. Okay. Yeah, but there is. Um, I think there was a, a someone, a, a, an Englishman, had set up this sort of kind of encampment where the Shipibo tribe would come to, okay. and they would they would do the do the work. So he he set it up so that people could come, um, you know, from all over the place. And translators as well, because the Shipibo tribe, they only speak Shipibo. They, some of them speak a little Spanish, but, you know, so you needed translators. So, so you do um, the diet. Do the diet, get on a plane. You fly to Lima, 
then you take another plane inland to uh, a place called Iquitos, which can only be reached by, it was the largest city in the world that can only be reached by plane or um, boat. Okay. So it, can't, it can't be reached by car. Um, and, uh, and then uh, I, we spend three or four days there acclimatizing to the climate, to everything, mosquitoes. And, uh, and then you go and get a little boat by, on the Amazon, one of those little straw-covered boats, and you sit in that, and some Shipibo tribe people, you know, kind of take you in their little boat into these tributaries in the Amazon jungle. And you gradually disappear into the jungle, and your telephone goes dead. Are you at night or daytime? No, no, this is in daytime. And what are you seeing? Like, what do you see beside you? Oh. Just well, you're the, the Amazon River is just so wide, it's like it's huge. Okay, so just getting across it takes a long time, and then you we kind of uh the the sort of chug chug up the side of the jungle where it's all jungly trees, <laughs> green wow. vegetation, heavy green vegetation, nothing, no buildings or anything. And you, and you see snakes, or. Well, when you get inside, yes, there's, there's snakes. Um, but when when we got there, depending on how t how high the tide is, mm -hmm. um, the boat can take you in further if it's high tide, or and then you have to trek the rest of the way. But all these little Shipibo people come out of the woods, or the jungle, and they carry they carried our bags for them. Wow. Bless them. Felt like a real imperialist colonial <laughs> twat. But anyway. Um, I'm very grateful. So we're wearing Wellington boots because it's all like soggy and everything and then the heat and the mosquitoes and we're trekking through the Ugh. all this vegetation. Took us about an hour to get to this kind of what they call the Temple of the Way of Light, which is sort of an encampment. And um, we're met by these beautiful, there were five women in full costume, their traditional costume. They were about, they're about three foot high, you mm -hmm. know, with this lovely black fringes and a bit like pigments you know yeah and just so loving and sweet and amazing i mean they were the sh they were the shamans and the wow. guy who'd set up this place he'd he had had male shamans and 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 in the end he just he he just found these women who said they're the best shamans ever oh wow because a lot you get a lot of you know the word shaman has got a double meaning hasn't it for good reason and um there are Wait, some what's shamans the double meaning well, shamans, I don't know, maybe you don't have that word in America, but in England, you, if, if a doctor is a bit of a quack or a bit of a crap doctor, you call him a bit of a, he's a bit of a shaman. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. <clears throat> but these guys were, these women were amazing. They're actual shamans and not taking yeah, the yeah. word and using it. Yeah. 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 They, they spend a year in isolation in the jungle, learning about the plants and taking the plants and yeah so so when you um so when we all gathered and then we didn't have a ceremony that first night at night it's so pitch black and there are men walking around with guns because they're protecting you from the the jaguars and the um uh and the snakes did you see a jaguar no okay no i didn't they might have made that up i don't know <laughs> Okay, so what happened? So you so you took it the first night. Yeah, you sit in you sit in this big big kind of hut, uh, straw hut, all sat in the dark. It's so dark there that you can't even see the person next to you. Oh you wow! Have, you you each have your own mat, 
you're each uh the good news was you, you everyone got their own bucket you know to vomit into oh that was the nice touch yeah that was uh and we each got a little cigar which apparently helps the thing to get into you and a then cigar one helps the medicine somehow now? assimilate yeah okay. and apparently it, it can alleviate the um nausea this is tobacco cigar not weed no yeah tobacco yeah, yeah. okay yeah and then um then the uh shipibo tribes come round and they sing to you okay and as they're as they're singing they sing these these little songs which are piercing like that i can't even do it and and um what was weird about it was that when during the i suffered from the nausea terribly and um but when they when they came and sat in front of me one of these little women would sit in front of me and she would sing the nausea would get worse and worse and worse until i vomited and then it was then then I, it was all over and i was good but, so did you tell so, her like your singing is making me vomit or that was that <laughs> <laughs> i was begging them to come up on the next day uh, uh, you know because we over the 12 days i did seven ceremonies seven times yeah seven times so i did pass the message on you know to the to the to the women listen your singing really helps me to vomit so if you could get me get to me as quick as you can <laughs> i'd appreciate it so because, what's the purpose of vomiting i'm not i think it cleanses out the system um it certainly f focuses your mind I, I don't honestly know i just think your body just reacts to reacts to it but also the um i think it clears the system and when they when they they explain to me that when they're sat in front of you they can they're taking the medicine as well oh really they can, yeah they can see the medicine as light going through your body oh interesting and then when it hits a block they can see a little dark patch and they will sing into the blockage wow and that's when you vomit so there's, like a, there's a reason they're supposed to be making you vomit. Oh yeah, it's like toxicity, you know, coming out. Wow. Yeah, and then you have the hallucination. So what happened on the first hallucination? Ah, oh, mine wasn't so fun on the first night. Um, I, uh, in fact, the next day when we were all at together and people were saying, you know, how was your night? I didn't want to tell tell anyone because they were talking about angels and you know pretty music and things, but. On my first night, I was surrounded by Nazis, and um, they were glaring at me through gas masks and pointing guns at me. And I couldn't get help because I knew that they they were so real. I thought I knew they would kill me, so terrified. I just sat, utterly terrified. And but then the 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 explanation came the next day when I was talking to the, the other people there, and, and they said, "Come on, tell us what happened then." And I said, "Well." They, I was surrounded by Nazis. Which they How many did you see? There were three with these great big gas masks on and they were just, the, the, the sense of evil coming from them was so strong. Wow. And then I, I just said to them, yeah, they were glaring at me. It was just, it was the way my mother used to glare. Wow. And I thought, oh, okay. So I was experiencing some of that childhood trauma. Uh, I mean, my mum didn't mean to be mean to me, I'm sure, but she was so damaged. 
that you know she, she had she, so much trauma that she never dealt with it yeah that it just went on to you she was scary yeah so she would when you were younger she would sit there and stare at you or when you say she glared at me well she she could silence us just with a look okay and and then and she would be the most frightening thing was that she would go cold for two or three days and we just wouldn't speak to us she had so, basically she shut down from the trauma yeah she froze she froze really. wow. she was frozen yeah so so did you talk to these nazis or did you just with the whole no 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 the no, whole trip was the whole hallucination the first night was just them staring at you yep where you you were in your whole body was just yeah like, and i was i i i was kind of conscious enough to be thinking god i don't know why i came all this way to be you know what a, what the hell am i doing here i you paid know? for this this was a big mistake you know I, I went on i went on two planes and a boat and <laughs> You know, really, what was the Brave point? Jaguars and snakes. So, so yeah. what, did, what was their response? What the uh, the what the Nazis? You mean, or the people? The shamans, like what? Oh, the you shamans. Told them what happened? What did they say? Oh, they said ah. They well, they said ah. <laughs> they just and, nodded. Uh, they nodded wisely, and uh, and they said they had told me at the beginning that the diagnosis that they gave because you have a little session with them at the beginning. And their diagnosis for me was that my heart needed to be opened up. Okay. So, and they said, so when I told them about the Nazis, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the beginning of your heart being opened up. Oh, wow. So you obviously did it again. Did you think about maybe getting back on the boat and not doing it again? Yeah, I, I said to them, I don't, I'm really hoping the Nazis aren't still there. Yeah, let's <laughs> because... hope they don't come to dinner. Yeah, no, I was, I was uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, next, uh, the next one was very different. Um, I was taken to my, uh, where the moment when my father left. I was- in, in the hallucination. Yeah, yeah. When my father left and he was standing at the door and saying goodbye, which I had no memory of as a child, but here it was happening. And I, I experienced my father's grief for the first time because Wow. My father was scapegoated, you know, when I, as in those days, you know, uh, a parent could say whatever they liked about the other parent. And, um, well, I guess they still can. But, you know, in those days, the father was often out of the picture. The mother just automatically got the kids and uh, she turned us against him. So in this hallucination, I was experiencing his grief for the first time and how much he loved me. So you think she, so what you're saying is that she sent him away or did her sickness make him go away? I think it was a mixture. Okay. I think, I, I think that she was incredibly difficult to love. You know, I think that she had been so, so traumatized as a child that, um, you know, her, her tools were control and uh, manipulation by distancing herself and then being incredibly warm and loving and then backing off and then you know she was just all over the place so in this hallucination your father comes to you and you have a conversation with him yeah i begged him i said please don't go you're going to break up our family and you're 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 how old in this hallucination five five so i'm 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 sobbing and saying you're going to break up your fat my family you're, you know why you don't you don't you must 
you can't do this. You can't leave us. You can't leave us. And he's holding on to me. And I could feel, I remember still this, having my cheek against his rough sweater. And I, his, do you say well, sweater? You do say sweater. Yeah, sweater. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I had that memory, sort of visceral memory of the feeling of having my face again, because I'd never had that, you know, since wow. I had no memory of it. And, um, and he just, he held on to me and he just said, I'm really sorry. I have to go. I can't stay. I just can't stay. And I was begging and begging and then he, and then he went. But you, within this experience, you're saying that you felt his grief. I have, I felt for the first time, I felt how devastated and heartbroken he was. Right. At leaving us. Wow which was amazing for me because I had believed all my life that basically my father didn't care that much. Do you think this hallucination was created to show you that? Or do you think it was showing you a memory that actually happened? Well, it's very hard to explain how ayahuasca works. I wouldn't like to say that I know, okay. but my feeling, my feeling was, was that, that the ayahuasca seems to know there's a progression there was a progression in the hallucinations and the ayahuasca seems to know what it is that you need to experience mm. to move, move you to the next phase of your healing or evolution okay so i i let go of so much grief there mm. um and that i was i am forever changed uh, because of that encounter with my father in that hallucination did you cry in the hallucination oh, or did you, did, your, did you, your physical body cry while you were having it? I, I couldn't sit up because I was just sobbing so much. Wow. I had to lie down. And I how long just, did it last? It's hard to say, probably about an hour. Okay. And then I mean, the whole, the whole, the whole hallucination. I mean, the whole evening was that, that session was about five hours. Wow. With, within that. It's hard to tell. You, you lose track of time. So you did it seven times. What were the next hallucinations? Right. Like? So um, the next one was I, uh, I went, I found myself sitting on my mother's bed as she was dying. Wow. So I was taken back to my mother dying and um, <clears throat> I was sitting on her bed um, in the hallucination and it was all exactly as it was. I, it, when mum was alive, I'd put the, her, her hospital bed into the dining room downstairs and made a lovely room for her downstairs where she could look out into the garden and things. And, um, so anyway, in the hallucination, I'm sitting on her bed and I said to her, mum, what was it like to die? Wow. And bearing in, bearing in mind, she, we had never been close. And she said, well, um, she was very, very upper crust, my mother, very hoity-toity. And she said, well, darling, um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that, really wasn't that bad. And I said, what, you know, in what way? And she said, well, um, I, uh, I thought I would die alone. But um, you see, I didn't know I had this daughter. Mm. She was talking about me. Mm -hmm. And she'd never believed that, you know, I would be, be with her or any would be, anyone would be with her at the mm -hmm. end. So, and then I said to her, so, mum, is there anything else I could have done for you? And she said, well, darling, uh, you could have 
you could have, um, you know, uh, dressed yourself up a little bit more nicely. And I oh said, what God. do you mean? And she said, well, you're always wearing that terrible dressing gown. <laughs> and a little, a little bit of lipstick wouldn't have gone amiss. <laughs> that's how I knew it was my mum. That's oh, my mum. Okay. Oh my God, that's so funny. Wow. Yeah. But again, that was a, one, a wonderful moment to, to feel, because my mother never said anything to me about, she once said to me while I was looking after her in the middle of the night, she'd said to me, you know, you, you, know, you saved me. Wow. But apart from that, she never talked about anything of any depth, you know. So that was a very healing moment for me too. So you got a thank you. Yeah, I did. It was very, and, and again, you know, whatever you think about what was happening during the ayahuasca, it, it, it has changed me. Wow. So, and then the next one was we were in, uh, we did have a lot of snakes and we did have one slither across the, an anaconda, I think it was, slither across the, um, uh, the hut one night. And oh my people, God. men with guns came in and chased it off and everything. But uh, I had this hallucination where I'm, standing in and just sitting and a snake is looking me right in the eye it's like a it looked like a i didn't i don't know snakes it could have been a cobra or anaconda or something it's huge and it was glaring at me oh my god and i just thought oh for god's sake you know we've, we've had the nazis right you know seriously yeah a couple of reprieves just... and now snake <laughs> yes so i'm looking at the snake and then the snake looks at me and I'm just, i thought I, I thought it was going to swallow me alive and then it looks at me and it Jesus. goes. <gasps> it winks at you. It winked at me. No way. So, so I go, whoa. I said, so you're you a friendly snake? And he said, uh, or he, I don't know if it was he or she. He said, uh, he said yeah, yes, I am. I said, well, oh. what do you, what do you do? I said, is, well, would, would you mind, me, mind if I call you Snakey Snake? <laughs> kind of random. This could be a children's and, uh, story. <laughs> yes. And he said, uh, he said, no, no problem. No problem. And I said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I wanted to show you something. Wow. So he said, follow, follow me. So he slithered off. And in, in the hallucination, I follow him and I find myself in my childhood bedroom where I had been in the previous hallucination with my father. Wow. And I'm in, in the bed after my father's gone and I'm just sobbing, you know, and the snake says, watch, watch this. And it wraps itself around me. Oh my God. And during the hallucination, I actually feel heat going into my body. Wow. And I just felt this, all this warmth going in. And the snake said, you see, I, I was always there. Um, and I can heal you retrospectively. And so and I felt all this warmth and and, this, and the snake said I'm ne I'm never going I've never always been there and I, I'm never going to leave you I'm always going to be with you. Okay, so who so, do you think this snake was? I don't know Jesus, Mary, Joseph. I don't know. One of the three. Wow. I so don't I don't know who it was. Was it a symbol of something or because I it was some kind of. I don't know, some universal truth, some loving being, something wow. very loving, something. And the next day when I was walking around, I thought, oh, 
this is how it must feel to feel really safe and have somebody with you all the time. Wow. Because I could feel that presence stayed with me. It was incredible. And so do you think it's still with you today? I do. I think it's always been there. And, and, I, and I think it's with me, still with me. And I don't experience it in snake form particularly. Right. But um, when I'm tapped in and, you know, uh, and meditating or in prayer or whatever, I have the sense that there's definitely, I definitely feel there's someone, something there, you know, that's loving and is on my side and wants the best for me. Do you think it's your personal guide? Maybe. I, I don't know if I would, could narrow it down to that. I, wow. I, don't, I really don't know. But you got a sense of something, is some being, some essence has always been with me yeah. and is still. And it mm -hmm. gives you comfort through. Yeah. Throughout I mean, it, could, it, could, it could, could even be an aspect of myself, you know, being on my own side. I don't know. But it felt so strong and deep, you know. It, it may be, a, you know, it may be an aspect of myself that I am, you know, yet to become familiar with. I don't know. Wow. So the next couple ones, did you have anything interesting come through in those? Um, the next ones were, there was lots of, you know, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, you know, the album. Yes. You know, the, the cover, how yes. weird it is all psych psychedelic. Right. I had lots of psychedelic stuff like that, which I didn't particularly enjoy. Okay. Orange, tele orange telephones and, you know, green, green sort of uh, chocolate chip cookies. And I mean, just weird, weird going down yellow tunnels and lots of weird stuff. Okay. Um, so they were the, they were the most, uh, they were the most standout ones. Okay. So you had some colorful symbolism yeah um, and then yeah so how did it end so you thanked the shamans or do you, do you have you gone back since no I, I haven't gone back since um i found out you can do it down the road here and you know in california oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was you know later on but um I, i'm sure i'm sure it's not the same experience i felt very privileged to be in that community with those people those generations of of, uh, of shamans you know and um, what, what was the name of it again the place i went to was the temple of the way of light temple of the way of light yeah. so you can't you, how do you come back and how does your life change well i just it was like having a reset um it's a bit like i don't know if you've ever done silent retreats but you know when you go away for 10 days and you sit in silence here 10 days at a time you you come out of that and it's like you've had a reboot you know so when i came back i had a i had a sense of calm and mm -hmm. just a sense of that everything was all right and I, of course i had snaky snake with me yeah wow so you had come okay so i'm going to backtrack a little bit before you how old were you when you did this or how many years ago let's oh, ask that oh this is really recent uh this is only about i don't know six or seven years ago so you five, had, five years ago and now you've you've i just want to say that you, you you've done this incredible show one woman show did you fully come out as a lesbian before your mother died and did you 
Oh, well, her dying, her dying helped. I, I had come out, okay. but not, not to everybody. Okay. And then once you did this, this experience, this ayahuasca experience, did it help you sort of really step into well, your own? Or? It, yes, I wouldn't put it all down to that. Okay. I think it was just one piece of the jigsaw. Okay. I, it certainly gave me a, a great sense of self-acceptance. <clears throat> It was more, that experience was more to do with shedding, shedding grief and, mm -hmm. um, uh, and becoming more accepting of who I was mm -hmm. um, and trusting myself more, you know, trusting myself to, trusting that inner voice, you know, which the, the inner voice that told me to go. I mean, everybody else was saying, don't go there, you're crazy. And on that course, when I accepted being gay, um, that's when I it kind of took the lid off my love of performing and it, you see you can't repress things about yourself selectively if you put the lid on something inside yourself it, right. it will you know it will mute all parts of you so when I took that lid off suddenly I realized oh I've loved working with adolescents for 21 years which is what I did but now I'd like to be a stand-up comic and live in a boat in the marina. So that's <laughs> what so I did. So you became a stand-up comedian and you moved into a boat. Yes. House at the same time. Yeah. Like, let, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this full throttle. There you go. So yeah. you became a stand-up comic in what year? What year was that? 2000 and, 2000 and probably five or six. Okay, and then you started touring, or you started just doing LA, or how did yeah, that? Yeah, I was just doing LA, and then when I went back to London, I did the circuit in London, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was just doing little, you know, just going around to the little tin pot. Sorry, I don't mean to be rude about them, but the little, you know, right uh, places where you can throw your hat in the ring and go on, and um, uh, you know, and I just got loads and loads of stage time in which is great. And so then how did you develop into this one woman show and tell us about that? Okay. So I, I got a bit tired of going out at, you know, being out till midnight and doing my three, <laughs> five minutes or whatever, you know, with, with 25 year olds. Yeah. A lot of 25 white guys, 25 yeah. year old white guys. T telling dick jokes. So, and I live yeah, with lot, my mom. A lot yeah. of dick jokes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I decided that I, I got a, um, someone introduced me to someone called Terry Silverman, who has a, uh, a writing class and she helps people get on their feet to do Great. one woman shows. Great. So I started doing that and, um, she got me up. She, she was actually the first one that got me up doing stand up, And then, um, I started writing my first show, which was a very British exorcism, which was based on the exorcisms that I had. So you just had a plethora uh, of material there. Just was, it was asking to be a one woman show. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, how'd that go? Funny, really, it? it went great. I did it here. I did it in London. Um, but I wasn't taking it. I didn't have a director and I just, you know, it was just a certain level. The difference I think, with this show, the show I've just, I'm just doing now and that I just um, finished the six week run in Hollywood. What's it called? Uh, the diff A Very British Lesbian. 
Okay. And uh, the difference with this is that I've had a director, stage manager, projections. It's just at a whole other level. And, and I've, le I've learned a script, whereas before I would just improvise the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. So, which means that, you know, you get lots of fantastic spontaneous moments, but you, don't, you don't also don't remember the good bits. So, you know, the good bit from last night, right. you won't remember for tonight. So you might have a different good bit, but you lose, you know, you, you lose things. So this time I have a script and... But can I just say uh, how incredibly brave that is to do a woman, one woman show and improvise it? Like just, I, as a stand-up comic myself and knowing the comedy world, that's insane. So props. Thanks. <laughs> Growing up in a society where you're told that you literally have demons inside of you because of your sexuality, like obviously it's bad for the psyche, but in your, in your words, what does that do to a person? And then how did you overcome it? Okay. Well, I think I was susceptible to being told I had demons because I already felt bad see you know a sane person if someone says to them you've got demons they go yeah right 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 you know but i mean i was you know i was told i had demons really from the age of about probably when i first became a christian they didn't say i had a demon uh it was really only when i was about 18 i was told i had demons now i didn't say you know you know uh you must you're joking because mm -hmm. I already was, uh, felt really terrible about myself. I had terrible low self-esteem. And uh, so, and the way my relationship with my mother and so on, I, I really felt terrible. So it, it felt, what I'm trying to say is that, is that having demons didn't feel much different from how I already felt. It's like they just validated myself. your low self-esteem. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and I thought, oh, that explains it. You know. But it's interesting so, that you turn to a place that's supposed to be, you know, a place that worships a loving God, and I they know, demons stamp on you. I know. I mean, I, when I when I was asked Jesus into my heart and became a born again Christian, I was really something really happened. I mean, I remember smiling and laughing and being really happy. And a few days later, I found out I've got demons. Right. So wow. you know, it was confusing. Seriously yeah. Confusing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, um, so the process of going to, from there to saying, do I have demons anymore? Or, you know, I think such a, it was such a long, tortuous journey. You know, I became a missionary later on after being training in the convent, I became a missionary. And, um, so you were like, okay, if I can't help myself, I'll, I'm going to go help others. Yeah. And, but also it was about keeping myself closeted. It was about keeping myself out of trouble. Okay. Away from more so, demons. Yeah. But you see, I would, what happened to, what happened to me was eventually I just fell in love and the feeling of being in love was so much nicer than worrying about demons. Right. So in the end, love prevailed. Wow. And I thought, well, if, if this is what, if this, if, if being loving somebody like this is so wicked, then I'll, I'll, I'll go to hell for it. Wow. And so you, you were a missionary and then you went and you became a therapist and are you still practicing now? 
yeah i work i work here i work with i work in uh, out of my home in santa monica but i also have clients in a on skype from the uk and australia and what is your focus how who who what does your typical client look like okay um <laughs> well they um i tend to draw people who are people who are trying to bust out of something or who are trying to find their true selves in some way uh, so it's a lot of work often of sort of unpicking the belief systems that have kept them living very very small lives mm. so they're often people who are on the cusp of of starting something big and amazing mm -hmm. but they need they need someone to give them permission or they need to give themselves permission so i i mean i've worked i work with depression people who are often who are depressed are people who are just who are i'm not talking about real clinical depression i'm talking about people who are you know sort of low level depression are people who are just not giving themselves permission to be who they are that's amazing so i think i think my specialism is you know, helping people to be who they really are. So what did you, what did you do? Because going from like such links to closet yourself and to not be who you are to doing a show called a very British lesbian, what for you, again, you fell in love and you experienced love, but, but how did you get from there to like being on the stage and mm -hmm. teaching others about it through your show? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if I can answer that. I think it's a, mir it's a miracle. I think that <laughs> I, I, I think that I became more and more trusting of my own voice. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did the master's program at, at, in Santa Monica, which was very heart opening. Um, I had an, I had some amazing therapists I and mean, I really dedicated myself. I, I, there was a moment when I was about 32, I think when I, I kind of, said when i came back off the mission field i went and went to see a um a therapist in the uk and um i had been the church had told me that that would take me away from god so i'd been resisting therapy mm. and then but i had this moment when i said to myself i you know i'm not i'm no good as i am i'm useless i'm no help to anybody because mm. i've got all this trouble so, uh, and if, if, and I, I prayed a prayer and I said to God, if, if we lose contact, I, I think you'll forgive me. Wow. And so I'm going to go into therapy and I really, I hit the therapy trail hard. Mm. Yeah. And you're still, how did it affect your relationship with your higher power? Well, initially, that's an interesting question. Initially, I had to just shut all that out because I'd been living my life by listening to the voice inside, which I thought was God. And that God was saying I couldn't be gay. So it was all confusing. Mm -hmm. So I had to just, I had to compartmentalize. I had to cut it all out. I had to cut out the church, going to church. And then when I came here, I found this other kind of spirituality, which is more about trusting your own voice mm. and trusting spirit and believing. I believe that there's a, you know, that there is, I don't know if it's called snaky snake, but I believe that there's a being or something, a universal power that's, that's kind. That's really beautiful. So. 
That's so beautiful. Well, I think that's a good stopping point. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your story. This has been amazing. You have an amazing story. Um, I definitely, when you find out, so what, what's going on with your show? You're, you're trying to do the next round? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm uh, plotting at the moment my next steps. So you'll tell me when your next show is, when your next run is going to be going. And then do you, are you, do you want people to reach out to you for um, totally, yeah. clients? Uh, absolutely, yeah. FionaGoodwinCoaching.com. FionaGoodwinCoaching.com. I'll also put that in the... Um, Thank you. Yeah. Or FionaGoodwin.com will get you to my, web, my other website, so whichever. Yeah. Oh, this has been so great. I really appreciate you sharing your story. I really enjoyed Thank you, Carla. hearing your journey. You. And um, I hope that people will reach out to you. Um, I'm sure that you've got so much more to give now that you're yourself. Integrated, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, thank, thank you. you. I'll talk to you soon. Much love. Bye. Bye.